Hello and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists, the podcast that tells you everything you need to know about working for yourself. I'm Emma Wilkinson, a freelance journalist specialising in health and medicine. And I'm Lily Cantor, a freelance money, health and lifestyle journalist. This week, uh, we're going to talk about working internationally. Yeah, so this could be living in the UK and working for publications or outlets based in other countries, or it could be moving abroad and working as a freelance overseas. Um, It could even mean turning yourself into a digital nomad and travelling while earning a living as freelance, Uh, obviously pandemic restrictions aside. Yeah, and recently Emma and I wrote an article for journalism.co.uk on this very topic, um, as we've both got experience to writing for publications outside the UK. Um, another thing to mention is that we're finding that our podcast listeners now are very much spread all over the world. Um, you know, some of the obvious places like America, Australia, uh, France, Spain, Germany, but we've also got listeners in Uganda, Ghana, Azerbaijan, Lebanon, Singapore. So, you know, really um, very much a global audience. And so we hope today's episode will help those people kind of working all over the world. Yeah. And we um, kind of, when we wrote about this for journalism.co.uk, we wanted to make the point that you don't have to just be restricted to writing for publications that are based in the country where you are. And um, one of my currently one of my really regular bits of work is writing for the UK version of an Australian publication. And my editor is based right on the other side of the world, um, which brings with it some challenges around uh, time difference. Yeah, and I write health news for the South China Morning Post, which is based in Hong Kong. Um, and I've also recently been doing shifts for Yahoo Finance, um, which is an American company. So that means navigating kind of different payment systems and getting paid in dollars. So we both kind of have different experiences of, of working sort of on, a, on an international scope. Yeah, and to make sure we've got this topic completely covered, we've got two guests with us today who moved from the UK to live abroad and work as uh, freelance journalists. Yeah, so we're going to bring them in in a minute. Um, but first of all, like always, we're going to do our top tips. So my top tip this week is about getting um, paid effectively. So if you are ever working for any organisations that are based overseas or you are overseas yourself, maybe working um, in a currency that you're different to what you're used to, it's really important to work out what is the most cost effective way of getting paid and particularly if you're working for an organization that's overseas you will probably find that the bank um, is the least effective way of paying because the bank you off with their fee um, really i would say my top tip is to do your research there's loads of different payment providers now so you can use things like TransferWise, um stripe set up a revolut account paypal um, all of those services on the whole tend to be better than the bank um, so you need to check with the organisation that you're working for kind of how they can pay you and what the different options are and then work out how you're going to get the most for your for your money, really. Because like I say, I've been caught out by this, um, the South China Morning Post, when I started writing for them, I, 
because they were paying me in sterling um, in pounds. I thought, oh, that'll be fine. I'll just get it paid into the bank. Um, but actually the bank took about 10% in fees and they weren't even transparent what those fees were for. Um, so I very quickly changed to PayPal um, and I don't get any fees now. Um, I get all the money that I'm owed. So yeah, just do your research on that one. What about you, Emma? Um, yeah, so money, that's a really good one. Uh, mine, this might seem obvious, but if you don't get your head around it, you can come really uh, unstuck very easily. And that is to um, think about how you're going to work around differences in time zones. So with my Australian editor, for example, we've sort of got used to the system we have now where she messages first thing in the morning, sort of I'm waking up and she's ending her day or the other way around. So my evening, her morning. Um, and it kind of might sound like it encroaches too much on the time, you know, outside your workday. Um, but actually it's fine because it's usually very quick and it means we can get on with whatever the commission is. Because if I have any questions during my working day, she's asleep. So I, I kind of need to get started and, and get okay in that. And it took us quite a while to get into our rhythm of that a little bit. Probably more from my point of view than her point of view because she was more used to it. I think, Lily, haven't you had similar things with setting up uh, interviews? Yeah, so a lot of the people that I interview are either um, experts that are based all over the world um, or sort of cases that are based in Hong Kong. But I've found that the um, residents in Hong Kong tend to travel loads anyway, so they could be anywhere. Um, so I think I'm interviewing someone in Hong Kong and it turns out that they're in Singapore or they've popped over to America um so yeah I've had to kind of always find out like where they are and what the time difference is and then when British summertime kicks in that confuses everything as well um so yeah you have to keep on top of that and work out also the best way of calling them so you know using a free service like Skype or Zoom or even WhatsApp um I've made that mistake where I phoned someone thinking I was phoning them on WhatsApp and I wasn't. I ended up with like a 90 quid phone bill or something because they were on the other side of the world. So yeah, you quickly learn though, um, kind of the best ways of doing things. Okay, so we're going to go on to our guest now um, via the magic of Zoom. We have Pete Carville, who is a Berlin-based reporter and writer. Hi there, Pete. Hi there. Uh, he began his career covering the protection insurance industry, going freelance in 2009. He's been based in Germany for much of the last decade, where he writes on the pensions and financial services landscapes, in addition to occasionally sport and mainstream reporting. He writes for publications all over the world, including the New York Times and the Washington Post. Uh, and we also have Jessica Bateman, uh, a freelance British freelance writer and radio producer, uh, she specialises in deeply reported narrative features on social issues around Europe. Hi, Jessica. Hiya. Um, her work has been published by the BBC, uh, The Guardian, The Telegraph, Vice, uh, Wired, The Economist. Um, she's currently lead editor on European collaborative journalism project Summer of Solidarity. Summer, uh, Summer of Solidarity. Um, she also now lives in Berlin um, quite recently, was previously based in Athens, Greece. So thanks for coming on the podcast, Jessica. 
So Pete, let's start with you. In terms of your top tip for working internationally, is, is there something you wish you'd known when you started out or a piece of advice you'd like to give to other people? Sure. Uh, just to start off, there was a little mistake in my bio. So I've, I've never worked for the New York Times, but I have worked for the New York Post, um, just in case anyone wants to start trying to find what I did. But in terms of uh, top tips, when I went into it 10 years ago, my the biggest mistake I made at the time was not really looking at the financial landscape of it quite so well. So I, I registered as freelance and then discovered that I had to pay uh, health insurance privately. So in, in the UK, most people are covered by the NHS, but in Germany, health insurance here usually costs about 400 euros a month and you have to pay it. Uh, there's no real way out of that. So that was that would be the tip I would give to someone is really look at the financial side of it before you go into it and have a good idea what's the minimum that you need to make each month. Yeah, yeah, it's really important to get that stuff sorted from the beginning. Um, and Jessica, how about you? I mean, have you got a sort of hack on getting the most out of living abroad whilst freelancing or, or what would your top tip be? Um, it's difficult to boil it down to a top tip because it's going to be different for everyone depending on what your motivations are for wanting to freelance abroad. Um, yeah, so I mean, if, if you want to do travel writing around Europe, it's going to be very different to if you want to do conflict reporting um, somewhere outside of Europe. Um, it's a whole different, a whole different setup, like different skills, different things to think about. So yeah, I, I think one of the main things is to get really, really clear on what your motivations are and what you hope to achieve from it. Yeah, yeah that's, that's really good. I mean, let's um, carry on chatting about kind of what your um, kind of route into first living in Athens was. What, what was your uh, reason for wanting to uh, live abroad and freelance? It was a mixture of both a personal and professional. And I'd always had this idea of living abroad in Europe and working from there. And then when Brexit happened, I realized I had to hurry up and do that quite quickly. Uh, I initially did want to come to Berlin, but because there were so many correspondents here already, like a lot of publications and news outlets have got staff correspondents here and there were so many other freelancers here, I figured it wouldn't be the best place for me to be based for my first overseas posting because I didn't really feel it would make me stand out to editors. And yeah, so I started looking at places that were not quite so densely covered by correspondents and main news outlets. And I was really interested in Greece and Athens, um, partly because there was a bit less competition there, partly because I felt there was a lot of interesting stuff to be written about there. And also because it just seems like a place that I would <laughs> enjoy living to and enjoy exploring. And it was also quite, it was quite, um, well situated geographically too because you're close to the Balkan countries, Italy, um, I don't report in the Middle East but I had a lot of friends who are based in Athens and report on the Middle East and yeah so that was that was why I chose it. <laughs> and, and logistically talk us through what that was like kind of when you first moved um, and setting up working as a freelance kind of what kind of things you had to consider 
Um, well, I'd already been freelancing in the UK for a couple of years previously. So I had a couple of regular gigs. So I had a base income already that was going to cover my rent and everything. And as soon as I got there, I just tried to meet as many people as possible, went for coffees with as many people as possible, just really kind of got the scope on like what was going on, what had been reported already, what hadn't yet been reported. Um, I also read so much in the months before I went there. And I mean, there was like so much like reported on Greece throughout the crisis, the financial crisis, and then the refugee crisis that I couldn't read. <laughs> I probably couldn't read every single article, but I tried to. Yeah, it's kind of getting your research done, isn't it? And Pete, how about you? How, how did you sort of end up in Berlin and, and what logistical challenge do you have? Uh, okay, so I ended up here because I was working freelance in London, as I mentioned before, and I kind of knew that even if if I had a good couple of months and then I had a bad month financially, it probably would have wiped me out. So I decided to go live somewhere else. Um, I just essentially picked Berlin at random uh, and came here because it was cheap. But in terms of logistically, um, I think the big challenge for me is in finding work. Most of my work on the journalism side now is still very much UK based. So I don't, and the problem is I don't have a, a huge presence in the UK. I go over about once a year. So for me, it's now what I'm trying to do is I really try to push what I do on social media and I try and push it on LinkedIn, try and work contacts because that seems to be the best way to get work. Yeah, so it's kind of those. Yeah. There's things we've talked about in previous episodes, actually. It doesn't really matter where in the world you are. It's you, you have to kind of keep networking and, and using all those different um Sort of contacts that you can make online um wherever you are um in, and in terms of the types of things that you're doing pete then are you are you reporting on things you mentioned a lot of the stuff you do for the british press so is it is it stuff that's happening in the uk that you're reporting on yeah so essentially um i have kind of like two business streams at the moment so i do a lot of reporting in the uk on the like pensions and financial services side and that sometimes does go into talking about the European pensions markets. And all my work on that, that respect is for UK publications. But my other revenue stream, and I think what is the tip I would tend to give people who freelance a lot, is I do a lot of work for German companies that need something writing properly in English. And the German companies, they tend to really like the fact that someone comes from the UK journalism background. Um, so uh, that's as I said, that's been a main revenue stream for the last couple of years. At the moment, I'm working on content for a couple of tech companies, uh, just interviews with their people and talking about the work that they do. And that actually, uh, yeah, I'd said at the moment, that's probably making up 50% of my income. And for you, Jessica, that's um, obviously a bit different because you've already explained you were looking for unique stories from originally from Athens that weren't being covered by other so that was you'd specifically gone to kind of find yourself a niche yes so the first year and a half I was there I was concentrating on stories in Greece and then I started branching out a little bit more and I started doing some more reporting trips like to the Balkans like once I'd found my feet a bit 
And I also did uh, a radio program in Germany with um, the BBC from when I was still living in Athens. And yeah, in terms of like finding those really overlooked stories when you're settling in a new place, I think it's, yeah, not putting too much pressure on yourself to do like the most like difficult or risky or hard to track down story immediately, but just building it up a little bit more and like getting to know the country, like building your contacts network and then yeah, gradually kind of branching out and challenging yourself a bit more. Yeah. So how, sorry, Lily, you go. I was going to say, I was, I was just going to ask Jessica, so how did you then end up in, in Berlin then? What, what was that transition? Uh, so I, well, I was kind of looking for another country to go to after Greece before Brexit happened, just because, um, Oh, I don't want to say anything that sounds too rude against Greece. <laughs> it's just not the it's just not the most stable country to be based in long term. And the situation with Brexit is we kind of have to pick where we are. If if you get what I mean, like you have to pick your country before Brexit happens, and mm -hmm. that that's where you're going to be based. And I got a fellowship in Berlin, there's something called IJP, like an international journalism program, uh, where you get uh, several thousand euros and you do a placement with German media. And yeah, you can use it however you like. You can um, work with your host media like quite closely, or you can use it as a bit of a space for researching some of your own stories, for your regular outlets so I yeah I did I did that from October till December and then I decided to register in Berlin before the Brexit date at the end of January and it's quite hard to find housing and things in Berlin so I was like I should just like start on all of this like while I'm here and cut down life admin for myself. And is your focus would you say that you're kind of reporting on stories from across Europe or do you think your focus will change to become kind of looking for stories that are in Germany? Uh, so I've done a couple of stories from Germany and I've got a couple of other ones that I'm working on now but it's not going to be my main focus ever because it's quite difficult to report on Germany for a lot of mainstream publications because they've got correspondence here already. And so in the time I've been here, I've done some more stories from Greece and I did a story from North Macedonia as well. And I'm planning to go back as well, like COVID depending before the end of the year. And I also got an investigative journalism grant as well for a Balkans based story. So yeah, hopefully <laughs> if everything like stays okay with like the infection rates and like safety, like hopefully I'll be going back there before the end of the year. Um, and what's your experience on how editors view commissioning journalists who are based in other countries? Does it matter that, to them where you're based? I mean, I suppose if you're reporting on a kind of unknown story in that country, it's actually a bonus. I just wonder if, um, you know, if there's any, if you've come across any barriers there. Well, it depends what you're reporting on, because a lot of the stories I do, you have to be on the ground for, like you have to be there. You can't report them remotely. Yeah. Yeah, obviously yeah. that's a very different view. What about you, Pete? Well, for me, um, as long as I have a phone line and internet connection, I can work. So it's never been an issue of editors in the UK. 
Um, it's more, as I said, like I don't have the networking that I used to have. So I, I found myself um, less able to go to industry events and press conferences, which does impact a little bit. And yeah, as I explained before, it's because I'm also not out meeting editors, like it's hard to find new editors to pitch to when I'm not at these events. So that's it's certainly a difference I've noticed between working in the UK and working in Germany. And, and what about sort of language barriers? I mean, is that is that ever an issue? Um, perhaps, Pete, start with you. Sure. Um, my German is not great. And so I've never made much of an effort to work in German. I mean, I've worked for German companies, but there's, as Jessica said, there's enough people here working within German organizations like Germans themselves who are so good at what they do and speak English so well that you really can't compete with them on that playing field. So you end up having, if you do try and work with German companies, you have to find a niche. Right. And, and that's, and, but you say that there is demand for writing things in English for German companies. Yes, yeah, certainly. So the last couple of years I've been working, I've not really been working as a reporter. The last couple of years I've been working for a handful of tech companies and I was always their in-house English language writing guy. So my last company I worked for, my job was to produce a couple of articles each week for them on the tech they did. And I also taught English classes within the company itself. And I also handled all the press relations for uh, that were coming from the States or from UK publications. And how about you, Jess? I mean, do you speak any other languages? No, I don't. <laughs> I'm always quite embarrassed about this. Um, I did, yeah, I did learn some Greek, but a very difficult language but to be honest when I was living there there was only about two stories that I was working on I actually needed translation uh, the level of spoken English was so good um, most of most of my sources I didn't I didn't need translation and in Greece like most of the most of the stories that are of interest to international editors tend to take place in the parts of the country where there's quite a high level of English anyway, like they tend to take place on a lot of the islands, like the more touristy islands. Um, whereas now I'm in Germany, I've actually been learning German quite intensively because a lot of the interesting stories here I found are the ones that I want to report on uh, taking place actually quite far out of the cities where there's not such a good level of English and it is a bit of a hindrance not being able to report in German and not being able to conduct my interviews in German. So yeah, I did two months of every single day intensive classes and now I've gone down to two a week. But yeah, my, my target is for next year to be able to report my own interviews in German. Wow, that's really good that you're able to do that. I found German so hard. I remember doing it in school, and uh, yeah, it's a tough, tough language to learn. Yeah, I've, well, um, not I've, as hard as Greek, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been here for ten years, and I even now I get my kids to translate for me. So we'll be somewhere, and I'll say, "Oh, just go ask the guy how much that is," and my son will just go off and do it because Daddy just can't do it himself. <laughs> yeah, it's a great I've, way to instill confidence in them. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder as well, from a sort of cultural point of view, I mean, obviously, I know it's it's Europe, but is there any kind of nuances in the way that journalism operates, um, you know, in Germany and also in the Greece? Is there things that journalists would do differently or expect people's expectations of journalists are different? Uh, what have you found, Pete? So I found generally that news newsrooms around the world are disorganised and... 
in Germany they're just disorganized in a different way. Um, so I, I, I'll, I won't name names, but I worked for one of the major German newspaper companies a couple of years ago. And there was, and I was there for about five months, and there was certainly, it comes from a legacy journalism background. So these guys weren't very good at the web. Um, um, so you, they, they obviously came everything with like a print idea, like they, had, they published at a certain time and they didn't have any social media strategy. And so you, you notice that, and you notice within the German companies as well, is that there tends to be people, people tend to go in and stay in the companies and become company people. As they go up, they become a little bit more and more untouchable. Uh, there was a famous case here a couple of years ago, and I can name the guy because it's, it's, it, it's been proven that there was a German reporter called Klaus Volosius, and he was found basically to be fabricating all his stories. And the reason he got away with it for so long was essentially he was considered untouchable within, within Spiegel. So that's definitely a, uh, a, a cultural shift that's different. And what about you, Jessica? Have you found any differences? Well, I work for international media, so I haven't really had many kind of intimate dealings with um, Greek or German media. Um, yeah, the only thing I've really noticed in Germany is people, uh, journalists seem to offer, I don't, I don't know if they exactly offer like copy approval, but as standard, like they do sh check people's quotes with them, which obviously is not standard in British media. So yeah, so that's, that's a bit of a thing to navigate sometimes when you're interviewing German sources, like sometimes have to explain to them the differences in terms of how the journalists operate. Yeah, I think there's more of a respect here from the public towards the profession of journalism and reporting than there is back in the UK. I, th I think there is a, a genuine cultural respect for the institution of newspapering, which I think in the UK probably lacks a little bit nowadays. Yeah, definitely. I think it, it's, yeah, and it's being eroded all the time. I think it's one of the least trusted professions. Yeah, right. in the UK, I think most people just take their news for free from the web. And in Germany, there's, there's definitely more of a trend towards people having regular subscriptions to, to the big papers and the big magazines. Uh, Lily talked um, at the beginning about kind of how she navigated uh, getting paid. Mm across um, borders. I mean, I know for the Australian publication that I work for, they use TransferWise and that works really well. I'd previously worked for a medical journal that was based in Europe. Um, this was quite a few years ago and there were bank fees all over the place that I didn't totally understand. Um, have you two got any kind of wise advice uh, for people on that front? Jessica, I'll come to you first. TransferWise. <laughs> and I mean, I've got a British bank account and I've also got um, a German bank account that I get paid into with euros. So yeah, anything from US or Australia TransferWise. Yeah. yeah uh, for me, most, most my work is 99% either UK or Germany. So I have a, a UK account for the UK stuff and a German account for the stuff here. I have one client each year from Hong Kong and we're still after a couple of years trying to figure out the best way to, to do it. But I think next year we're probably going to do PayPal or uh, Stripe. I think we're the two that we're like looking at for next year. Oh, I wouldn't go with PayPal. Their exchange no? rates are really bad and their fees are okay. really bad. Yeah, transfer-wise. Transfer-wise, okay. Yeah, I think we wrote about this in the book because I think transfer-wise is one of those that has everybody kind of immediately maybe goes to PayPal. 
um, mm. that TransferWise is becoming incredibly popular in the past couple they're of not, years. But they're not connected to all countries and not all publications will use them. I know South China Morning Post, when I looked into this, they would only pay via PayPal or into my bank account. So it was kind of the lesser of two evils, but PayPal was still way better than my bank account. Oh, it's such um, a tricky thing to navigate, isn't it? I mean, let's yeah. while we're kind of on the topic of practical things, um, I suppose there's, I mean, one of the questions whenever we kind of talk about this in our community, people then start talking about, you know, whether you need special visas if you're going to be based in the UK and live in America or whether... Um, where you should be paying your tax and all that kind of stuff. Every country is different, obviously. Um, but I just wondered if you two could maybe give some tips on the type of research you need to do and maybe they're just the type of things that you need to consider to avoid getting in a muddle when you start doing this. Pete, what have you got any? Okay, well, I've been living here for 10 years and I came here in Britain, still parts of the EU, so I haven't had to go through the visa process. I, I now have permanent residency. I got it last year. Um, but I know from like my American friends, like it's very complex. I, I, the only advice I would possibly give would be hire a professional to help you do it. Because yeah. there are people that have that service. Yeah, I mean, it can get very complicated, can't it? Jessica, have you found that, I mean, kind of different perhaps between living in Greece and Germany even? Um, I mean, I haven't had to go through anything with, with visas yet, but I would say, um, yeah, check out what the visa situation in the country is and also depending on what you're doing, what type of insurance you'd need and also if you need to consider hostile environment training as well, depending on the type of overseas reporting that you're doing. And yeah, it can get quite complicated visa situations for, for journalists in different countries. Um, like I've got a friend who was trying to relocate to Pakistan to do reporting there and she just couldn't get she just couldn't get the visa because she couldn't get enough supporting letters for it, which was a shame. Yeah, and I guess that's a problem if you're freelance. It's not like you you've got a staff job and a an organization behind you. There's probably extra hoops to jump through. Well, editors will give you these letters if they know you. Um, so if you're just like starting out and you're trying to go to a country that's like very difficult, then it's going to be much more difficult to get those letters from editors if you don't have a relationship with them already. Um, you know, it might be easier, it might be better to go to a kind of inverted commas, easier country, freelance from there, build up your relationships with foreign editors and then if you want to relocate somewhere else get them to yeah write your supporting letters for your visa application although i'm not an expert on any of that because i've never had to do it so i'm not the best person to really give people advice it's just kind of just things i picked up from talking to other freelancers yeah i mean but that's useful because it kind of just shows the considerations and the difficulties perhaps and the barriers that have come up when people have uh, you know tried to do this I mean one thing that we'd be remiss if we did this podcast and didn't mention you've both kind of brought it up that Brexit is gonna make that harder for us um, UK citizens but obviously not impossible so it's just about knowing that situations are changing and every country is going to be different and you just need to do your research. Yeah Brexit's a tricky one because at the moment no one actually knows what 
what it's all going to look like in the end. Um, I mean, I mentioned a second ago I have permanent residency, and that was because the Foreigners Registration Office here in Berlin came out last year and just by themselves decided that they were going to start handing out permanent residency to people. The problem was that anybody living outside Berlin, like a friend of ours who lives, you know, two miles outside the city limits, still doesn't have any idea what's going to happen to it once this mess is all sorted out. Yes, I mean, I'd got, oh gosh, I was writing about coronavirus for three months thinking I really need another topic to write about. I'm getting so bored of this as a health journalist. And the first thing that came onto my desk, the first commission I got was an editor saying, we need a piece on Brexit. Mm. Thought I'd left that behind. So from coronavirus to Brexit, which is now confused by being Brexit plus coronavirus. So yeah, that's the other consideration if you're working abroad or indeed if you're traveling for stories is obviously you've now got to have have in your mind kind of right I need to research what the coronavirus restrictions are can I get there you know what happens if there's a lockdown what kind of insurance do I need um I mean Jessica I just wonder is that is that something that's kind of on your your radar and and also insurance is is that something you you're constantly having to think about well, I mean, this is kind of the bane of my life at the moment because um, I've got this grant to go back to Albania for a story there and it's just really difficult to be able to, to plan it. <laughs> and yeah, even if like borders are open, flights are getting cancelled all the time just because the demand's so low. So I've got a friend from Greece coming to visit me here in a couple of weeks and his flight back just like randomly got cancelled. Like even though the borders are open between these two countries, they're just wasn't enough demand so yeah they just cancelled the flight so yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a tricky time an extra yeah, level tricky. of complexity yeah but in back in april i had four weekends where i was actually in post between different cities and countries every week i was going to be in uh, latvia and then italy then london then uh, out in rural germany and every single one of those was cancelled within the same week because because a lot of them were sporting events or one that was the international journalism festival over in perugia so yeah, like it's going to be tricky going into next year, and um, certainly booking travel, certainly going over and networking. Um, so it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Another thing I want to say as well, in terms of if you want if you want to travel around for stories, like when there's a pandemic, um, not just the border closures, but you have to think about your responsibilities as well to try and make sure that you're not going to be spreading the virus. So I would say if anyone has any plans to try and go abroad for a story before the end of the year, like get tested, get a test before the plane, get another test, pay for a private test once you get to the country and stay in a hotel until you get those results. And yeah, it will be more expensive for you because you're going to have to pay for a private test. But like, I don't think anyone should, I don't think anyone should be just like randomly like going to different countries at the moment, because that was the whole reason that this virus spread in the first place. And if you're going to be doing face-to-face reporting, like I haven't done a face-to-face, I didn't do face-to-face interviews the whole time that the pandemic was going on. So I didn't want to endanger people. I did them all remotely. And now things are opening up again in Germany and I'm starting to do face-to-face interviews again, but you have to just really think about like the safety aspects, like not just for yourself, but for your sources that you're not gonna put them in any danger. Yeah, it's a whole extra layer of ethical uh, sort of consideration on top of everything you normally have to think about 
yeah with yeah. kind of health and safety and risk and yeah yeah um okay so that was all really interesting we've kind of i always set myself like 30 minute and then get really sucked into the conversations and just forget what time it is um hopefully if we've got any listeners who are thinking about perhaps living abroad um that will have inspired them and helped answer any questions that they might have yeah that, that was really helpful and i think it's just signposting people really to kind of some of the things they need to think about um and just being aware i guess at the moment that there are kind of so many different moving elements and it's just kind of keeping on top of them but if anyone wants to get in touch with us to suggest any ideas for topics for the podcast um, then you can email us at freelancingforjournalists at gmail.com and follow us on twitter at freelancing4 uh, you can also follow us individually i'm at emma journo and i'm at lily Cantor. Um, and don't forget to join our Freelancing for Journalists Facebook community where we have lots more tips and advice. And if you have any other questions about this, um, you can uh, post them in there. Yeah. And just to say that we're now doing this kind of podcast for free off our own back. So if you have found it useful and want to buy us a virtual cuppa to say thank you, then we have a coffee page and it is um the link to it is on our um twitter as our pin tweet and also on our website freelancingforjournalists.com um, and we are getting lots of new listeners all the time we've really got off to a flying start with this new series uh, we would really appreciate it if you could like rate and subscribe to the podcast but also if you found it really useful perhaps there's a particular episode on a topic that you wanted to know more about then if you could write as a review that would be absolutely fantastic okay so that's it for this week goodbye for now bye